down the side. You guys can come and take a seat. We're going to get started. First of all, we want to give it up for the band and for everybody who has been volunteering today. If you can guys can just tell them how appreciative we are for all of them. And junior youth, you guys are now dismissed, so you guys can head right through there. Um, it looks like they have a very disgusting game for you involving a lot of gross food. So have fun. Can't wait to hear about it. If you're new to Mountainside, my name's Eliza. Um, you came on a Sunday that either will disappoint you or make you happy. Hard to tell right now. Um, but Pastor Mike is normally um, the person preaching, but I am so excited to be able to talk to you guys today about something that has just been on my heart for the past couple of months and I wanted to share with you guys. So I was in London, England this summer, and maybe some of you knew that, and it was probably one of the best summers of my life. I kind of went in there hoping I would meet a British man, which unfortunately did not happen, but maybe next time. Um, and I was doing an internship there for school, which was really the reason why I went. But it kind of felt like there were more reasons than that, because a lot of factors went into me being able to go. I felt like God really provided um, the finances for me to be able to go, the timeline for me to be able to go, because my niece... She was born right before I was able to go. She was actually born two weeks early, so I got to see that. And then I was able to be back home for uh, my friend's wedding. So it really just felt like all everything just kind of shifted into place. When I was in London, I, I, was, I just had this feeling like I was supposed to be there for a reason. And I, this has happened to me a couple of times. I've been to Africa a few times. And so whenever I've gone somewhere by myself, I've really felt like that's where God and I um, have a cool connection. It's been really, really interesting. And London was no different. It helped that I had zero friends. <laughs> so because I was lonely, I constantly talked to God. And over and over the summer, God just kept blowing my mind. He would show me things or reveal things to me or speak to me. And I, I was just so excited by what I was learning. Um, and it wasn't something that I had experienced often back here in Canada. So I was so excited by this relationship that I felt like God and I had cultivated that at one point I said to him, you don't have to do anything else for me for the rest of my life. How I've heard from you and seen you here in London will be enough for me forever. And I have this tendency of making very dramatic sweeping statements. But I deeply, deeply believed that. And I came back home at the end of the summer with a clear understanding of who God is and a clear understanding of who I am. And it was incredible. But then something changed. It was like I was on a mountaintop, on a complete high from my amazing, life-altering summer in London. And the day I got back home to Canada, my mountain got ripped out from underneath me, and I crashed and shattered. When I got home from the airport, my sister and her kids were over, and I hadn't seen them in two months and had bought the kids way too many presents. Like, it was ridiculous. Sayla was like four months old, and I was like, here's ten items that she will never remember. I was holding Sayla, who had gotten some serious cheeks while I had been away. When my dad came home, his, hand, his, his phone in his hand, and he said to me, I think that Tat's been killed, and immediately everything came crashing down around me. If you've been at Mountainside for a while, then you would know Tat. She helped start Mountainside and was a key member of our church and a good friend to a lot of us. She was 20 years old when she was killed in a car accident in August. It's six months later, and I'm still reeling. So what do you do? What do you do when you go from this crazy, 
mountaintop experience only to crash into a low, low valley. Well, I want us to look at 1 Samuel 30 today. And there's this guy named David in the Bible. If you've been at Mountainside before or around church, you might have heard of him. Especially Mike talks about him a lot because he loves David. And if you haven't heard of him, David was just this kid. He wasn't anything particularly special. In fact, he was just a shepherd who looked after his brother's sheep. But God had these amazing plans for David, including choosing him to eventually be the king of Israel. Where we're looking at today, David is a little bit older and is fleeing the current king of Israel, Saul. Saul is super jealous of David. David's young, he's good looking, he's a fearless warrior, God is clearly with him. And Saul knows that David is eventually going to be king and take over his job. And Saul doesn't want David to be king. You know, he's thinking, like, that's my rule, that's my job. And as David grew in popularity, Saul got more and more angry and more and more jealous. And Saul wasn't a bad guy. God had actually chosen Saul to be king for a specific time. But Saul quickly started caring more about what people thought of him than how to follow God and lead the people well. So where we're picking up today is at the end of the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 30. And at this point, David is fleeing Saul because Saul keeps trying to kill him, which is not a bad reason to try and flee somebody. David has actually had a couple of opportunities at this point to kill Saul, but he hasn't. And if you haven't read 1 Samuel, I encourage you to maybe start reading it because it's a really good, really good book. There are a lot of good books in the Bible. This is a good one. Okay, so 1 Samuel 30 verse 1. Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. So David and his men get home from dealing with Saul's stuff. They come to their hometown, and everything has been raided and burned, and all of their family has been kidnapped. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. And David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod, which is the clothing that the priest wore. So the priest brought it. And then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. We're going to skip down to verse 16. So he led David to them, and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken. And David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. And David got everything the Amalekites had taken, and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. Bit of a crazy story. <laughs> a lot of bloodshed. A lot of awful, awful things happened in this story. But for one moment, just imagine how David must have felt. He came home from these victories of escaping Saul to find out that his hometown had been burned, everything had been taken, and all of his family was gone. And then, because he was the leader of the men, 
When all the men realized that their family had been gone, they were bitter, and they decided, we need to blame somebody for this. We're going to stone David. I can't even imagine. But look at the end of verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. These awful things were happening to David after great victories. His home was burned down. His family was kidnapped. But he had a choice. He could become bitter like the other men. It said that the other man grew, immediately grew bitter. Or he could choose to remember who God is. Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And although the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, was written way, way, way later than the book of 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament, David still had to cling to the promise that the God he knew doesn't change. And if God had been faithful to him through his whole life, if you read in the beginning of 1 Samuel, you can read about David's life. If God had been faithful to him through his whole life, he would continue to be faithful to him, even in the depths of something so painful. So in that moment when David could choose bitterness or choose to remember who God is and trust him, he chose the second option. He chose to trust. And this story ends well. God leaves, leads David to rescue his family and all the other people that are captured, and they're all saved. But sometimes in our own lives, we're in the middle of that part of the story, and we can't see if this is going to end well. Because the pain can feel so great and so overwhelming, and God can seem very, very far away. And when we are in the place of pain, the most natural thing for us to do is to forget. When Tat died, even though I had, I had had one of the most life-changing summers where I truly experienced God in very personal ways, my natural instinct was to forget all of that. And do you remember how I told you what I told God about <laughs> he never had to do anything ever for me ever again? I had said that just like a few days earlier. And then my friend died and I totally forgot. All I could see and feel was pain and sadness and grief. And then I came across Hebrews 13, verse 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just like David, I had to make a choice. Either God was unkind and cruel, and everything that I had experienced in London was this giant hoax, or God was good and kind and trustworthy, even in the midst of my pain. But in order to trust God with my pain and in order to trust him with my entire life, I had to remember who he is. The author A.W. Tozer said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to say that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I think we have to ask ourselves this question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? And to some of us, that might feel like a very scary question. Because for some of us, we might feel like we have to please God. Like if we, if we do this right enough, if we have everything together, if, if I'm a good Christian or a good person, then he'll be pleased with me. Or maybe for some of us, we feel like damaged goods, like too many things have happened to us or we have done, we've just made too many mistakes that it's too hard to believe like God could ever truly love me. 
And maybe you even believe that God is love, but he's got to love the person next to you so much more than he loves me. For a long time, I struggled with the idea that God is disappointed in me. Turns out, I had to work through a lot of stuff that made me realize that that's how I was perceiving God. If you feel shame or disappointment or like you have to get your life in order when you think about God, I have to be honest with you and tell you that your perception of him is wrong. God is far more loving, far more gracious, and far more kind than any of us can even imagine. But sometimes it's hard for us to see that. A quick story, Sarah and Josiah over there with that really beautiful little baby. Last summer, I felt like I was supposed to pray for them. I had challenged myself to pray for something, the same thing, for 40 days in a row. To be honest, I thought I would be praying for something for myself, because generally I just think about myself more than others. But I really felt clearly like God said, no, I want you to pray for Sarah and Josiah. And so I did. So I set out on my 40 days, and I know I'm supposed to pray for them to have a baby, because Sarah and Josiah, if you know part of their story, they had experienced quite a few miscarriages. And I felt like I was supposed to pray that they would have a baby. And I felt strongly as I was praying. I'm like, God, you're going to give them a baby. I just know you're going to give them a baby. So when day 40 came around, I'm like waiting for Sarah to tell me that she's pregnant because I thought if I prayed 40 days, they would have a baby. And she never did. And I was really mad, confused, disappointed. I was like, God, why did you ask me to pray for 40 days if you're not even going to give them the thing that they want so, so badly? And I could not understand why this thing that I longed for for them and what the whole church was praying for for them wasn't happening in the timeline that we all wanted it. So flash forward one year, that was last summer when I prayed for 40 days for them. This past summer, I was in London, England, and it was like midnight in London or something. I get a text from Sarah saying, Eliza, we're having a baby. (laughs) I started to cry my eyes out. First, because I was so happy. Second, because I realized it was one year to the day that I had stopped praying for them in that 40 days. I thought that that would happen a whole year earlier, and God had an entire plan a whole year later to the day that I stopped praying. I'm not saying that they had a baby because of me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it was really cool. It was really cool, and that God is always trustworthy, even when it doesn't feel like it even when we cannot see how this thing is going to end. But we can claim that he is trustworthy when we remember him. So something I want you to know is that remembering often hurts. And if you were coming to church for a really positive pep talk, I'm really sorry, we're just going to get a little bit more depressing. Because remembering is going to involve a lot of pain, Some of us have quite skewed perceptions of God because of the pain that we have experienced. And I didn't know the way that I saw God was so wrong until I started to go to counseling and deal with a lot of the crap that had kind of pointed me towards that false direction. My friend says, if you have a pulse, you probably need counseling. And I like to joke around with my sister that if I ever have kids, instead of saving up for them to go to college, I'm going to save up for them to go to therapy. Especially if I'm their mother. (laughs) My point is, if you are a human being, you will have stuff to deal with. It doesn't matter. You could have had a wonderful upbringing, and thank God for that. But you are still a person in a very hard world, and we all have to deal with stuff and figure stuff out. 
And in order to see God more clearly, we have to deal with the junk that gets in the way of how we see him. But the most beautiful part of all of this is that God will be there with us, helping us to sift through what might be a lie and what is the truth. What helps me the most, and we're going to do this, if everybody goes to the bathroom soon, I know why, um, is literally sitting in silence before God. This has been a really hard thing for me to practice, but so transformational. A couple of weeks ago, I had a 13-day migraine. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, I went to the doctor. I went to the emergency room. The doctors at the emergency room gave me morphine and Percocet. Really makes you quite high and knocked me out for 16 hours. And when I woke up the next morning, the pain was worse. And I was willing to try anything. So one day I found myself at the chiropractor. Okay, I've also decided I'm going to marry a chiropractor because it felt so good. Like, if you haven't been to the chiropractor, go. I'm marrying a British chiropractor. Um, anyway, he asked me, has anything significant happened in the past six months? And it kind of clicked in with me. I was like, oh, yeah, my friend died. And I realized that I had been ignoring God and ignoring my grief. I was really tired of feeling sad. I was really tired of having to try and deal with everything. So I decided to just ignore it. But the thing is, with pain, you can only ignore it for so long. Eventually, you have to deal with it or it will come at you in the form of a 13-day migraine. And I decided to get quiet before God and grieve. And I really, 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 really didn't want to. I didn't want to. It doesn't feel good. <laughs> but I knew I had to deal with what was happening inside of me. So a couple weeks ago, I spent a Saturday morning, I just cried, and I told him honestly how I was feeling, how I felt really betrayed by him, how I felt really sad a lot of the time, how I was really, really mad with what the outcome of this situation was. And as I cried, I just allowed myself to be with him. And in that time of being with God, just being silent, just sitting with him, I experienced a love so strong and so kind and so personal that I was absolutely blown away. Remembering our hurt, remembering can hurt when we have to deal with our pain, but God will never make you deal with that alone. When you bring that pain to him, offering it honestly just as you are, not fixing it, not making it look less than it is, but just, just giving it to him exactly as you are, he will sit with you. We can have the God who made the entire universe sit with us and help us work through our pain. And sometimes we can do this alone with God. And sometimes it might be helpful to talk through some stuff with a counselor. It doesn't matter because God can use both our alone time with him and talking to someone to help us clear that away and see him more clearly. So point number one, remembering can hurt. <laughs> Not what you wanted to hear. And the second thing I want you to remember is this. When we remember who God is and remember what he has done, we can claim that he will do it again. Maybe for you, you're thinking, I don't really know what God has done. I don't really know him, or I haven't really seen anything. 
that's totally okay. I would start I would start by honestly like read through the Bible. You can read story after story after story about what God has done for his people. The entire book will show you what God has done. He has raised people from the dead, he's healed people, he has reconciled relationships. And again, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means because he has always been the same and always will be the same, that we get to claim what he has done a long time ago. And we get to claim what he has done yesterday. So we can say, God, I know you never changed. I saw how you saved David's family. And if you can save David's family, you can save mine. You can save my relationship. You can save my life. Or we can look around our church and see what God is doing within Mountainside. When I look at Gord, I remember how God saved him from his heart attack. I remember God. When I see Kalia and I remember how God healed her from her cancer, I remember God. And when I look at baby Thea, I remember God. God has done so much in our church. Remember who he is. Remember what he has done. And then claim that he will do it again. I still grieve Tat. I have no idea why she died. I don't think I will ever know. I don't understand it. And I've come to the place of acknowledging that I don't understand it. But I do know that even in the midst of my grief, I can remember who God is because he never changes. I want us to do a quick little exercise, which some of you, I'm just going to warn you, you're not going to really like it because it might feel a little uncomfortable. Roll with me here. Just give me a chance. Give me five minutes, okay? I want everybody to just close your eyes. Plant your both feet on the floor so that you can kind of feel comfortable. You might need to roll your shoulders back a little bit. Just get into a position that feels comfortable for you. And everybody just close your eyes, and I want you to take a deep breath for me and just let it out and just take a couple just start breathing just focus on your breath and focus how that feels just breathe in and let it out and when you're letting out your breath just let out any anxiety you might feel any stress any worry just try to take yourself away from where you were this morning or where you're going after church today and just for five minutes it's all going to still be there after we're done this for five minutes just focus on being present and being here just breathe in and breathe out and just think about a safe place. Maybe for me, I always try to think about um, a meadow, a really grassy meadow. And the temperature outside is perfect, and there's wildflowers, and I feel really safe. Maybe for you, it's beach or under the stars. But just picture yourself in a safe place. And then picture God there, too. Maybe God the Father is a hard thing for you to wrap your head around if you have had um, a hard time with your parents or a father figure in your life. So maybe for you, it's better for you to picture Jesus. It's okay. Maybe for you, it's picture the Holy Spirit. Picture Jesus beside you. And when you look up and see Jesus, he is smiling. His smile extends from one cheek to the next. He sees you and he smiles. And then I just want you to sit with him for a minute and just rest. Just know that he's going to take care of everything. And just sit there for a couple of minutes and maybe breathe. And just know that even now you're sitting in the presence of God. 
And then maybe somebody needs to think about the idea that God has got everything under control. And if that's you, maybe your natural inclination is to feel a little bit stressed, a little bit worried, really tired. This week was really tiring. I just want you to rest in the idea that God is God and you're not God and you don't have to have everything together and remember who he is, that he is strong and he is for you. And just rest in that. Or maybe somebody needs to know that you're loved for exactly who you are. There is nothing that you can do to ever erase that. And maybe you just need to remember today that you are deeply, deeply loved. And you can rest in that and remember that God is love and that he loves you. Or maybe you're just in a place of deep pain and grief. And for that, you can know that Jesus actually is grieving beside you, that he is with you, that he has never forgotten you, even if it might have felt like he has. And you can rest and remember that he is beside you every step of the way. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are good and you are kind and you are trustworthy, that you have shown us who you are over and over and over again. I just ask that you would remind us constantly of who you are because in this world we are prone to forget. God, I just pray that Mountainside would become a place where we would remember and see the things that you have done and claim that you will do them again. God, I believe in this anchor year, we will just continue to see you over and over and over again. And even in the times where it feels like we can't see you, we'll remember all of the ways we've seen you before. We love you, Jesus. Amen. promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you've never failed your promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you've never failed me yet seen you move you move the mountains 
still stands no matter what you're walking through your promise still stands great is your faithfulness your faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you've never failed me You know, just as we close, I want to encourage you. We, we believe that God is faithful because of who Jesus Christ is. And, uh, you, you know, I, I know there's some newer people to church service where, you, you know, you may be just figuring out who God is. Maybe there's people in the room that you've been in church services your entire life. I want to just give you a chance to know who Jesus is today. If you didn't know it, God loves you. And that's, you know, I so appreciate that about Eliza's messages. You know, the, the good times in life the awful times of life, it doesn't matter. God is with you either way. And he actually loves us so much that even though we on our own go down our own path, we, we make mistakes on our own, that God loved us so much that he came from heaven to earth. God became a human being. That's why, like if, if we really let that sink in, that is wild. Jesus Christ, the son of God. And you know, he lived a perfect life. When he was 33 years old, he was crucified on the cross. And the reason he was crucified is so that he could take our sin away, so that we could actually have a right relationship with him. And when we actually believe that that story is true, when we put our faith in who Jesus is, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he loves us, when we believe that, we can know who God is. We can have a relationship with God. So I wanna just encourage you, uh, if you've never made that decision yet, you can make that decision. You can know who God is, and you can know that you are just so loved and so valued by him amen so you just do that now in your heart you, you know it doesn't have to be some fancy ritual you just say to God God I want to go your way I believe that it's true 
and he's there for you, okay? Um, we're gonna uh, close off uh, by taking up uh, an offering financially. So ushers, you guys are good to come forward. Um, if you wanna be a part of what we're doing here at Mountainside Church financially, uh, you can give uh, through the red buckets here that they'll be passing along. Um, we also have an iPad set up at the back for some digital online giving through debit or visa. Um, and again, there's no pressure if you were not a regular tender, okay? This is for kind of, if you call Mountainside Church your uh, home family, that's, that's for you. Um, and I also want to remind you that today, uh, what, what time What time are we looking at here? So I'd say like 20-ish minutes, um, we're going to be having a partnership meeting. And basically a partnership uh, meeting is uh, a gathering together we do uh, three times a year, every fall, winter, and spring, uh, where if you are a church partner, that means uh, that this is your church home that you've uh, committed here formally to say, yes, this is my church home. Uh, I give here, I serve here, uh, I'm, I'm committed to attend here. Uh, we meet, we're going to be talking about finances, uh, kind of where we are as a church, just some different dreams, some different um, goals, uh, just some different vision ideas and that kind of thing. So that's to, uh, in, in like, yeah, 15, 20 minutes, um, just where the youth meet out there. Uh, we're going we're gonna to meet there, okay? So um, service is officially closed. Thank you so much. Uh, we will see you here, same time, same place next week. And before we do anything, though, show some love to Eliza. How good was that? Come on. Thank you, Eliza. We appreciate you preaching and uh, helping me out today. Um, and then with that, God bless you. You are free to go. If you're a partner, make sure you stick around. Uh, we have lunch provided and childcare provided. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. If you are attending the partnership meeting, could you please pick up a chair and bring it with you? Uh, just so Clayton doesn't have to do everything, okay? <laughs> Oh, and tax receipts are over here at the table. I apologize. Tax receipts. If you want to do your taxes, <laughs> this way. <laughs>